Are you finding that you're making more mistakes with your finances the harder you try to control them? Look, it happens. The challenge for most of the listeners is making financial mistakes honestly is a common thing. And for this next guest, it took a pivotal moment to realize that intentionality was the key to achieving success. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. If you've been active in our community at all, you're going to know this next guest as he is a frequent commenter and poster in the group. He's an emergency medicine physician by day and a rock star content curator by night, putting together an amazing collection of the best of the best on the internet in the personal finance space. Honored that financial residency has been highlighted a few times by him. So thank you for that, my friend. So if you haven't guessed it by now, and that means you probably really need to get in our community, which is financialresidency.com slash community. But if you haven't guessed it, I'm thrilled to introduce Bill Yoon on the show. We will be taking you on a journey through the ups and downs of financial mistakes and how Bill was not only able to see those mistakes, but was able to, as he calls it, pause, plan, and then pivot his way to financial independence in just a few short years. It's a remarkable story with a ton of life lessons mixed in there. So I'm going to stop yapping and let's get into the show with Bill. I am so excited to have Bill on the show today. Bill, thank you for being here. It is my pleasure, Ryan. It's been a long time coming and I'm excited too. Yeah, it has been a long time coming. And for everyone that might not know Bill, Bill is our friend that is in our community that makes fun of me for not only the Tesla piece, but also the new truck piece. And we have that long standing running joke of me and my truck. So you can thank Bill for all the little cheesy jokes that I make around the truck. You'd have to start with the truck. I'm the truck guy. Well, if you're the <laughs> truck start guy, with the I'm truck. the house guy, and we can get into that later if you like. Oh yeah, we're going to go into it. Well, everyone, we're in for a really big treat because as we go through and we've done dozens and dozens of shows and all the things to do right and the ways to think about things and changing mindsets and all the positive things you should be doing, there is something that we need to address. And we are so fortunate that Bill is here pulling back some of the curtain to let us kind of talk about some of the big mistakes that you could potentially be making or that he has made in his career and how he was able to overcome them. And he will be hitting FI in the next three to five years, which is amazing. I just think it takes a lot of courage to do it. And Bill, I really appreciate you coming on to talk on this, but You've got some mistakes that you've made in your finances, and I would like you to kind of talk about a few of those mistakes. Then we'll kind of, as you like to say, pivot. We will then pivot to how you've overcome those mistakes that is going to allow you to achieve financial independence in about five years. So why don't you launch us into your first big mistake you want to talk on? Well, thanks, Ryan. It's great to have the opportunity to talk to your audience as somebody that's been down the road a ways from where most of your audience is. Uh, and I think mistakes are our best mentors. 
it's in digesting those, acknowledging those, and unwinding those that we learn our most important lessons. And, I, and I'm here to share mine with your audience because they don't need to make the same ones. And they need to understand that there's an impact, to, an opportunity cost, if you will, to everything you do. It will compound if you don't recognize it, pause, plan, and unwind it. So uh, where would you like to start? Well, we've talked a lot and we were just chatting before the show here. And one of the things that you said was, you know, you said you put your head in the sand for like 15 years. And I think it's a good point to start at is you came out of residency with like $25,000 of consumer debt. You were fortunate not to have a lot of student debt because you came out with about 25,000. And I think everyone sitting here is going to go, oh, that would be really nice to do that. But you went to Uh, a different med school, and then you had some scholarships. You did some of the right things there. But I think we just kind of start from that piece of, you know, maybe some of the stuff you did in training as an early attending, and then take us through what some of that 15 years look like. Well, you have to remember, I'm 53. So I'm a little older than most of your audience. And I went to med school back a generation ago. I think I was in residency from 92 to 96. And I came out of med school before that. And one of the best financial decisions I made in my life was to go to my state medical school. If your audience can believe it, and I'm sure they're going to, their jaws are going to hit the floor when I say that the tuition at my medical school back then in the old days was $500 a semester. The cost of going to medical school was about $10,000 a year of lifestyle expenses was just your cost of living. That was easily one of the best decisions I made financially in my life. It was not a mistake. It was very intentional. It was either do that or join the Navy and go to Cornell. And that was the only way to pay for a more expensive school back then. And and your audience is struggling with all these decisions now because now what? They're coming out with an average of $250,000 to $300,000 of uh, student loan debt that uh, needs managing is forcing the issue of financial literacy, which is imperative to leading a um, happy life. So yeah, med school was a a good decision. It was a a true win. And I was fortunate to leverage uh, grades and scholarships to not have much in the way of true educational debt. I think it was a total of about 25K. But I succumbed to the marshmallow test and I failed it big time. When in residency, working 80 to 160 hours a week, depending, I felt I deserved a lot. I really couldn't pay for. And I used credit cards to do so. So I came out of uh, residency at that time with about $25,000 in addition of consumer debt revolving. And I did the six-month credit card deal, 0% interest, to keep rolling it over. And it wasn't until after residency in the first six months of that that I crushed the consumer debt and the educational debt very quickly. But I did manage to buy the new car and get the car loan. So didn't get it all right there. I needed to learn a lot about debt management and delayed gratification versus instant gratification. I needed to meet my future self much sooner in life and not just pay attention to paying my present self without paying homage to the person I would be in 20 years. Now, you mentioned delayed gratification. So I'm assuming, I don't like to assume anything, but I'm assuming that some of that delayed gratification was a poor delayed gratification decision. And that led to maybe some of the other mistakes. Is that a fair assumption? I'm not sure I'm understanding your question, but you know, I had a lot of the same traditional things that residents have when they come out, the decisions to make. I ended up getting married and uh, we wanted to nest and have a house. And that wasn't the wisest decision either because you don't know where you're going to be and you can end up somewhere else. And running right into a house is running into stacking more debt on top of debt, even though it's 
asset accumulation debt. It's debt equity and it doesn't grow for you. It doesn't work for you. And you may be better renting. You got to run the numbers and let the math temper your mind. Uh, You got to get your mindset right and then let the math help you with a decision that requires emotional triggers to enact it. Yeah. I was more referring to, I've worked really hard. I've gone through med school residency. I deserve to do XYZ now and not wait and save and that kind of thing. So you're oh, yeah. I, doing. I deserve vacations to Jamaica and all these different exotic places that went right on the credit card because it didn't fall into any budget because I didn't budget. What was a budget? It was it was hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. The dreaded um, B word, Bill. You're shooting it off yeah, in just a few I, minutes I know, of the show. That's your favorite word. But uh, <laughs> as we talked about before, uh, when you're dealing with small numbers, you want to make the big mistakes when you're dealing with small numbers. And uh, when you're dealing with small numbers, you have to budget. As you deal with bigger numbers and better cash flow, then it's a little different mindset. You're in more in the cash flow planning, and the small stuff can kind of, you know, not be so important as long as you're saving first, saving hard, and uh, to the points of pain where it's, uh, you know, you've done a good job. Yeah. And just because I know you and we've talked a lot, I know kind of some of the mistakes that you made, and I'll, I'll bring up a few of them. So you, you've told me before, like you were kind of just throwing money to, you know, your private banker at the, I can say at JP Morgan, just because I know we talked about it in, in quote unquote, as an investment advisor or a financial planner, which they do no real financial planning. And I know that you view that as one of your mistakes and just not being. Yeah, my, my idea controlled. of investing was to hand it off to somebody else uh, without speaking the language, without understanding what they were doing. It was like, you know, the world will just take care of me if I throw money at it. And then they invest it for me. That doesn't work. You can't save last. You have to save first. And you have to save intentionally with purpose. Uh, And ideally, you find somebody to help you learn the ropes, a mentor that uh, you may not have had in your family and your parents or in anybody. And that can be a fee-only fiduciary advisor. And that will hopefully help you learn to fish as opposed to just leaving you high and dry. But anyway, we didn't have that. And so, yeah, we saved last and we would throw whatever we could at retirement at our future selves after we'd spent everything else. And that's the ass backwards way of doing it. It Took us 15 years to flip that equation around. And uh, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know what it was costing. There were expense ratios that were high. There were advisory fees that were high. There were embedded fees. There were 12-1B fees that were there. And there were so many fees, I just didn't pay attention to it. You know, stick your head in the sand. You know, you got married, you have twins, you get into this tunnel and the tunnel moves fast. It's kind of like Star Trek and the speed of light. You don't know where you're going to end up on the other side. And unless you make a plan before you come out of residency, know what you're doing with your first paycheck. How does it all break down? The habits that you develop and plan for as you're exiting the deprivation stage of that 10 years of the tunnel of medical education is critical because you'll succumb to exponential lifestyle inflation if you don't have a plan. Yeah. You'd paint an advisor one, one and a half, two percent. You're paying expense ratios one and a half, two percent. You've got then additional fees that might be tacked onto the account, trading fees, whatever it is. The banks are notorious for this stuff. And you know, the first three, four percent of whatever your earnings are going to those fees, that that really, really hurts long term. So I agree. That was a mistake. Well, you want your your money to work for you and compound in your pocket. And if you don't limit fees, as has been proven over and over and over again, you know, you're just, you're paying somebody else's kids to go to college. Uh, Absolutely. And I mean, the fees, there are fees for managing investments and for doing real financial planning, and and it should be reasonable and fair and equitable for both sides. And unfortunately, the 98% of the industry is favored on one side. 
and that's probably even being kind to assume well, that there's two percent. It's actually very are. nice to have you on our side of that equation, Ryan. Oh, I mean, I'm part of a medical family. It's <laughs> it just it's how it works, at least for me. But you wanted to talk about other rocks. People want to start with the investments, and and that's sexy and exciting, and it's the math side, and it's easy to focus on. But in reality, there are bigger rocks that you got to get right when it comes to houses, cars. I call foodieism and extrava travel. Is there anything else that you want to dive into as far as the numerous mistakes that I've made and survived? No, that's the thing. It's like you've made these mistakes and everyone thinks like, oh my gosh, we've done this. We've gone too far kind of deal. We'll never survive. We'll never come out of it. And it's like, well, you will. And you're an example of this. And you've got something cool. And I think very unique to your train of thought and your thought process is this pause plan pivot. And I'd like you to tell the audience, and I know you've referenced it in our community and you've linked a couple things that, you know, of your thought process around it. But for those that don't know you or haven't seen you in our, in our community, which if you're not in our community, go to financialresidency.com slash community and join us and engage in conversation to, you know, really empower yourself to take over your finances. But for those that don't know, Bill, why don't you talk a little bit about this pause plan pivot? Well, this is how I make any decision now. And my wife and I got to the point where uh, we lived in a big city. We lived a big life and we commuted in different directions, 60 miles. And our kids, our twins were caught in the middle and nanny and childcare and private schools. Uh, and we just crushed our financial problems by earning more and losing time. And we realized that it had gotten a bit out of control and it just didn't feel right. You get this feeling that there's got to be a better way. If I keep running on the treadmill and it goes faster and faster and faster, I'm going to have a cardiac arrest. <laughs> and uh, we decided to geographic arbitrage. We didn't know what it was at the time. I had not heard that term. I had not discovered this movement until about six years ago as we moved to a um, you know, low cost of living area where it was very tax friendly. And uh, we geographically arbitraged to increases in income and decreases in expenses and started building wealth. It's a huge move for us. And that was the time where I started reading and pausing and, and educating myself through blogs like yours and others. Uh, as you know, our friend Jim Dolly has done a great piece of work in the White Coat Investor in helping high-income professionals uh, avoid these problems. It's preventive financial health care. But I, I didn't prevent it, but you can still remediate it. And that's what we've done. Uh, we've slowly worked to build our financial house and uh, we got our paper asset uh uh, issues together and uh, designed and DIY'd our entire investing plan and our savings plan. And our savings rate went from single digits to uh, a gross of 33% of gross income and 50% of net take-home pay. So, and I think that's where everybody should strive to get to. I firmly believe that you've got to start by saving 10% with your very first paycheck in life. And honestly, if you do something like save your marginal tax rate, you will reach financial independence before the nine to five to 65 crowd. And that's a given. It's a simple formula. Yeah. And I think it's beneficial if you say your specialty. So people don't think like you're a super high pain surgeon or something. I mean, you are in a, no, not in I, pediatrics. I refer but... to myself as a, a blue collar, upper class emergency physician. 
Yeah. I, I just wanted to make sure that was clear. So it wasn't like, and I joke about pediatrics because I can, I'm married to one, but, uh, <laughs> uh you know, yeah, it's not poor, like your, your poor wife is the butt of a lot of jokes and she's a lovely lady. So she, we got to give her some credit. She and gets she's, the last she, laugh I, I every the, time. Uh, the podcast takeover where she turned the tables on you and hosted you. Oh Yeah. And she wanted to roast me and I said, whatever, it's fine. I don't care. I think it's all good. Well, good for her for embracing it too. And and actually, she who's the smartest one in this? She married you so that she didn't, as a physician, have to figure it out as much. Maybe all physicians should marry a financial advisor, don't you think? I mean, you ask her and <laughs> think she's going to tell you differently, bud. <laughs> well, I look forward to meeting her and asking her that question in person. You can, because she will tell you all the bad stuff, I'm sure, that happens, but... When we look at this pause plan pivot, I think you've broken it down before. I like the train of thought with it. I think just maybe go into a little bit more on the train of thought of like what pause is and what that means to you and then what plan is and what that means. Well, I mean, pause is really take time for yourself to figure out your direction and you got to design where you want to go and reverse engineer your goals and you're a very big goal person. We both believe in Kinder and his philosophy. It's not just financial planning, it's life planning. You know, money is of no use to us, but as a tool to reach our dreams and goals. And we've got to decide what's our why? Where do we want to go? It's not just when I want to be there and what I want to be there with. It's, you know, who and why I think are the critical questions. And if you ask yourself those and then write them down and then work backwards to, okay, this is a big, scary, hairy, you know, 40-year project. Let's break it down into what I do every day, every week, every month. Then I can just trust in that if I do this every month, I will get where I want to go. One thing that you didn't mention we talked about, I don't think we brought this up yet, and I'd like to encourage your audience to think about is, okay, we don't live in medicine in the 9 to 5 to 65 corporate crowd, but somehow that gets superimposed on us. And I would encourage your audience and my colleagues to think about medicine as a 20-year project. Now, bear with me for just a second. If you do that and you allow yourself five years of mistakes to sort of recover, you got to pay off your loans in five years and you got to crush your debt and you're going to make a few mistakes. But then at that point, you have 15 years. If you focus, you will be financially independent as long as you do the math, work with a mentor, make sure you double check things, trust and verify you will be financially independent in 20 years if you follow the 20-year plan. And guess what? You may or may not like doing what you do at that point. You just don't know. You cannot predict the future. There is chaos out there, and life is not predictable. We like to think we control our paths, but we don't. There are so many curveballs and corners. And so if you plan for 20 years instead of 40, you give yourself a lot of runway. And if you have runway, guess what? You get to enjoy the next 20. Say you do love what you do and you just do it better and happier. You're going to be a better doctor financially independent early in your career than you will be struggling for 40 years. That's my message. I love it. Plan for five and 20. And as you said it, the second 20 becomes a lot more fun. Telling you, Bill, that's your your tagline, man. That's beautiful. Well, you know, I have plans. I'm not just a doctor. I I plan on diversifying my professional portfolio. And uh, I have ideas now to, and and a lot of doctors don't, we're not very entrepreneurial. We're not very risk oriented. We're more like bonds than stocks, it seems sometimes. But there are creative businesses that we can involve in side hustles. It's become very big. And I think the new generation is very aware of this. I wasn't, I'm a different generation. There's real estate and business classes. If you get involved in those, you can even escalate your 20-year plan to five. If you 
you know, become a business owner or a land owner, then you're not just in the employee mindset. It goes back to Rich Dad Poor Dad, as we were talking about before. Yeah. And something you brought up before is George Kinder. And I, I still got to reach out to George to see if I can get him on the show. But as a registered well, life can planner. Can I be there with you? I'd love to do it with him. We went to high school together in different years. I would have loved to have met him back then. George is a brilliant mind. Really, he's the father of life planning, uh, which I think is just financial planning done right. I think most people out there think of financial planning as just numbers oriented. And really, that's how we're trained, like by the book. It's all about numbers. How much do you make? How much do you save? How much are your investments? This is when you can retire. And no one ever discusses most of the stuff. Like, I don't think people realize most of the stuff we talk about on the show. Most planners have no idea how to actually talk about these things. We're not truly trained that way. And the reason why I look at this and do it this way is because of George Kinder and his trainings. And I love what he's doing. And I, I'm happy you referenced it. And the show I did with with Taylor a while back that was called, I think it's like what it's like to be married to a financial planner. Uh, mm -hmm. We did back in January of 18. I've referenced this show quite a few times now because we've been talking on these emotional and behavioral pieces of finance. And the cornerstone is truly those three questions. And there's a couple other exercises that he's created that I actually do with clients, but I love what it is. And, and I want everyone to really start to think about these things and just money differently. I want to jump in there and say, yeah. there's a lot of money shame out there and there's a lot of money taboo out there. We don't talk about it. It ranks up there with sex, drugs, religion. These are just things we. Oh, I thought you were going to rock and roll after about. that. And I'm like, why? Why not? It's life. It's the blood of life. And it flows in, around, and all around us. It's infinite. And if we don't understand it, it works against us. And we can make it work for us. And what George Kinder does is he recognizes that financial advising is much greater. It's really, it is life planning and life advising. It's financial therapy because we all make mistakes that we have to unwind. And we all want to get it right. And we hate to be wrong, but it's messy. And we do need help and we need guides and mentors to get there and help us refine our goals. And then this is the math to get there. But we forget about there's more than one bank. It isn't just the number that you have in your retirement account at the end of the day. There's an emotional bank that you have to fill up too. And if you don't fill up the emotional bank, then you don't have reserves to draw on for other people later in life. So there's many banks that we have to fill and allow to compound. And it's, it's easy to focus on the numbers and not on the softer science of the emotion involved in how we live our lives. Our brains are our worst enemies. And I love neuroeconomics. And there's some great books out there on it. It's, it's fascinating to read. And I encourage everybody to just get through the numbers, but graduate through them and follow George's seven stages of money maturity. And you've got to elevate yourself out of the scarcity and fear mindsets, the paycheck to paycheck mindset, and into a growth, uh, abundance, accumulation, and charitable mindset. There's really higher levels of being here that are only good. If we all do our little piece, the world becomes a better place. I sincerely think that sustainable financial habitudes and attitudes to independence are the way to achieve environmental consciousness and to solve global warming, believe it or not. They're connected. If we get our lives right individually, we vote in a big way to make a big difference in the spaceship that we are traveling on together. Well, that's some power right there, Bill. And, you know, there's a whole industry. I mean, the behavioral finance is, is really starting to blossom. And I think a lot of what we're talking about here 
And in the book that I'm, I'm writing, it's coming out in October, like it's around these behavioral finance, this emotional gap between just, it's a different mindset around money is really what it is. Well, I'm very excited to see your book because I think your book to, to the millennial generation will be what George Kinder's was too. It's going to be real. I'm excited to read it. I look forward to the spoilers as they come out. Uh, you're a dynamic force in this space and I can only support your work. Let me know whatever I can do to help. I appreciate it. So we've talked about pause. Let's go to plan. What are you referencing here? And 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 I know what everyone's kind of thinking is like, oh, the traditional financial plan, but that's not what you're referencing. What is plan to you in this pause plan pivot? Well, plan is really, okay, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 20 years? Where do I, where do I need to be in uh, 40 years? Because we're responsible. I mean, I'm a member of the lost generation. Remember, in my lifetime, the reason I fell into the rabbit hole and my head was in the sand for 15 years was we went from a, a defined benefit plan to a defined contribution plan. Basically, what that means is the private sector and the government's handed off the responsibility for our retirements to us with no education. And I got lost in that. I got lost in that shuffle. And it, it took me a while to figure out what had happened. And rather than be bitter about it, I said, okay, it's time to bootstrap my way to, you know, DIY my life, which I needed to do anyway. And I, I firmly believe that anybody out there in your audience can do this. This is not rocket science. You will need help. You may need advisors and find good ones. And through Ryan or with Ryan, you will. But beware. It is a caveat emptor where there is a lot of poor advice and salesmanship out there where people are trying to piggyback on your work effort. And keep your money in your own financial house as much as you can. Pay reasonable prices for reasonable advice, but let your money work in your pocket. Yeah. And, and I want to make sure like you don't have to find an advisor to do this stuff. Bill's doing without it. I have become my own advisor and I guess I'm dangerous that way. And I recognize now as I'm getting into the levels of fluency financially that there are coming times, especially at transition points, as in calculating, do I have what it needs to, to retire? And although we hate that word, to be, am I independent? And can I go to, is my lifestyle burn rate going to be covered for 30 years with what I've got in my nest egg, my broader portfolio? When I reach those transition points, I do expect to engage an advisor to double check to, you know, you can trust yourself, but you got to verify that you're right because you may be wrong. Yeah. You never know. Right. But the idea doesn't mean, oh, the only path out of here is with a financial advisor. That was the point I wanted to come up with is there's many paths to get there. If you're the type that could DIY and do this and you truly enjoy it and want to spend your free time doing it. Awesome. That's what Bill's done. And he's become more financially literate and he's expanding his thought process and his mindset around money and he's fixing it. Now, maybe he needs some help here and there as he goes throughout again with the transitions, but I just wanted to bring it up. You don't need to, obviously like there's help out there, but choose the right help I think is. is and the plan part works. is really, it's a thought process, but then write it down. If you don't write it down, you're probably not going to follow it. And when the market crashes, you're going to want to reach back to them and say, what did I plan to do when this happened? Okay, I better do that. <laughs> yep. Because you don't want to hesitate and, and pull an emotional trigger at the exact wrong time when you stand to gain the most, but you shortcut it and you, and you, you run for safety and you lose the most. So, And that's where you have a virtual set of mentors out there to help hold your hand with you. That's what I found. When I don't know what I'm doing, I, I reach out there and I ask for help. And uh, there's plenty of voices ready to give me thoughts as to how to navigate a problem. I guess the modern generation calls that crowdsourcing a solution. Yep. Careful with that, but it definitely can help. The last piece here, Bill, is pivot. So we have pause, plan, and now we're at pivot. 
Pivot is the action piece. You take a breath, set your compass, check your map, and look where you're going. And then you've got to pull the trigger. And it's not as easy as you would think. I think a lot of times we lay great plans, but then it requires some traumatic emotional trigger to pull them. And it's not easy to enact it. And doing so is very rewarding, though. And you just got to take baby steps, I guess. And you can even use Dave Ramsey's quote here. It is important to crush your debt first and pick your method, avalanche or snowball, and take your baby steps. You crawl, then you walk, then you run. And pulling triggers and pivoting becomes easier. You recognize it sooner and you're quicker to act after appropriate pausing and deliberation. Yeah. And I think a really important message out of the last little piece there is Dave Ramsey is for the average American, he's doing an amazing service to help them out. He's got some really good advice and and I do like the baby steps and and those pieces, but. We've always got to elevate our game. It's a continuous process. It's uh, you're never done with this. The key is to engage in the journey and pull your head out of the sand. And once you engage with it, you know, you can nerd out on it like us, or you can just say, you know what, I'll set the basics and I'll set the course and we'll do some minor corrections, but it's not my passion. And uh, that's okay too. You don't have to be a finance third like we are to uh, really take control of your life financially and otherwise. Completely agree. So Bill, obviously everyone can find you in the group. You're pretty active and starting threads, commenting and providing some really fun things to discuss. But other than that, where can everyone get a hold of you? How can people learn more about what you're up to? Well, last December, I felt the need to sort of uh, express myself in the universe of uh, financial independence. And I started a small Facebook group called Financial Literacy Project. And it's grown from one me to over 700 people now that join us in uh, active discussions of contemporary financial topics uh, on the EQ, emotional, and then the IQ, math side, and on the current events side. Uh, It's a forum for which is there for everybody. We are independent and we're a closed group, but anybody can join and we encourage people to do so. And I hope that we collaborate across our groups in the independent space to grow financial literacy to a cultural change that we need to see. I love it. Yeah, I'm in there. I'm an admin of it. I'm happy to have been a part of of you launching this and want to see it grow and have great success. So if you haven't joined ours, join at financialresidency.com slash community. And while you're in Facebook, go and find the Financial Literacy Project that Bill has started. It is fun and he's getting into more Facebook lives. Uh, I'm not sure when we're recording one, but I know that's coming pretty soon. You're going to return the favor and do a live with me soon, I hope. Yeah, we have a a series that uh, I'd like to put out there. It's it's called Money Stories and More, where uh, right now we're going through and introducing our moderators who are all diverse from all different walks of the money journey. And uh, we're just going through their money story. And then they pick a topic that they want to talk about that's near and dear to them. And then we engage with, uh, for example, later today, I'm talking with Sarah Catherine Gutierrez, who is uh, also a fee-only fiduciary financial planner who is very passionate about gender equity and financial literacy and has a nonprofit movement called Save 10 that she's starting, where it's important to save 10% out of the gates of your income in order to take control of your retirement future self. It's exciting to be in this on this journey with these people and, and have discussions that I think are very pertinent to destroying the taboo of talking about money and pulling our heads out of the sand. Yep. I'm hibernating a website too at uh, pivotpointsmd.com. Someday I hope to start a blog and turn it into more and 
who knows? There's uh, other ideas out there for businesses with regards to second chance finance to help doctors downsize and unwind that lifestyle inflation that creeps up on you like insidiously, like hypertension. It's a killer. Completely agree. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been obviously a pleasure. It's always fun hanging out and talking. So thanks again for coming on. Ryan, I really appreciate your having me. Like I said, it's been a long time coming, but it's a joy to be out there helping people avoid the mistakes that I've made, but no regrets. You know, pause, plan, pivot, move on. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article by Ben White titled Dr. Jobs at Nonprofit 501c3 Hospitals Don't All Qualify for PSLF. Wait, what? Yeah, that's it. And in it, he shares some very important advice regarding PSLF that many of us maybe haven't thought about before. So to be brief, PSLF, which I know we've talked about a ton on the show, is Public Service Loan Forgiveness. And it's a program from the U.S. government that'll forgive your student loans as long as you hit their certain criteria. So you have to work for a nonprofit employer for 10 years, have made 120 qualified payments towards the balance. And you obviously have to have direct loans as well. And I know I share a ton of information in regards to these loans and consolidation and when to use PSLF and when not, but sometimes I don't really focus on talking about where you work to qualify for the loan forgiveness. And Dr. White brings up some really great points in his article in regards to who is actually the one employing you. So it's pretty much who's writing your checks. Hospital infrastructure dynamics are extremely complex. And a lot of times, even if the hospital is a nonprofit, the physicians can be employed by a private physician group. This means that even if your hospital is a 501c3 organization, if the physician group that you're working for is not, then basically you can just forget about PSLF. You won't qualify. And as Dr. White mentions, state like Texas don't really have nonprofit hospitals that employ their docs. Some do, but it's not very common. This is a really important conversation to be having, especially if your future career plans involve to moving to a state like Texas. And they're not the only ones, but it's still not as common in, in that state, at least. In these small details, that's where many physicians can overlook, which ends up putting them in a less favorable financial situation. Honestly, that's a really crappy way to start out your repayments on your medical school debt. So always remember to read the small print in the contracts. And if you're interested in PSLF, make sure you are actually going to qualify at the hospital you're working at. So I only briefly summarized the information that Dr. White gave in his article. I really recommend to go back and read the whole thing. I'll make sure I link it in the show notes. But if you're interested in everything to understand the ultimate guide that we put together for student debt, go check it out at financialresidency.com slash student loan. Many thanks to my friend Bill for coming on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it along with our journal club. Here are the four key takeaways that I want you to walk away with from hearing the conversation with Bill. One of Bill's admitted financial faults was when he caved to the emotion of spending because he felt like he deserved it. And I hear that a lot. The only problem is he dug himself deeper into debt. Here's what Bill had to say about it. When in residency, working 80 to 160 hours a week, depending, I felt I deserved a lot. The 
I really couldn't pay for. And I used credit cards to do so. So I came out of uh, residency at that time with about $25,000 in addition of consumer debt revolving. And I did the six-month credit card deals, 0% interest, to keep rolling it over. And it wasn't until after residency in the first six months of that that I crushed the consumer debt. Number two, we all know that life is unpredictable. So avoiding situations where you're stacking more debt on top of each other is not ideal. Let's take it from Bill. You don't know where you're going to be and you can end up somewhere else. And running right into a house is running into stacking more debt on top of debt, even though it's, you know, asset accumulation debt, it's debt equity and it doesn't grow for you. It doesn't work for you. Takeaway number three, a good workaround from debt to being debt free is to start saving from the beginning. In fact, it'll get you further than most in the nine to five crowd. And I really love this point from Bill. So let's hear it again. Uh, we got our paper asset issues together and designed and DIY'd our entire investing plan and our savings plan. And our savings rate went from single digits to a gross of 33% of gross income and 50% of net take-home pay. So, And I think that's where everybody should strive to get to. I firmly believe that you've got to start by saving 10% with your very first paycheck in life. And honestly, if you do something like save your marginal tax rate, you will reach financial independence before the nine to five to 65 crowd. And, and, that's, and that's a given. It's a simple formula. And our final takeaway, save the best for last maybe, but our final takeaway, by becoming more financially independent, you need to get out of your quote unquote employee mindset. Maybe even getting involved in real estate or land ownership will help you get there. Let's again hear what Bill has to say because I loved it. There are creative businesses that we can involved in, side hustles. It's become very big. And I think the new generation is very aware of this. I wasn't. I'm a different generation. And then uh, there's you know the real estate and business classes. If you get involved in those, you can even escalate your 20-year plan to five. Thank you so much for joining us in on the show. I'm honored to have you guys here because this podcast is really about cash flow and budgets and financial goals, investments, honestly, all things related to money and the details making those things worth pursuing in real life. And while these types of topics aren't the sexiest, you're here and that's what matters. I work really hard at delivering great information in the podcast, but here's the catch. I don't know anything about you or what your financial needs are. So please consult your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before taking any action or making any decisions affecting your hard-earned stash. Next week, I'll be back with a solo show talking all about estate planning. Yeah, I know. Again, not the sexiest of things, but we've been helping a ton of clients with this recently, and there have been some really great questions that they've asked that I think all of you will benefit from hearing the answers. So I'm going to go through an exhaustive list about understanding estate planning and why you need it. So have a great week. I'll see you guys on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.